got a Bible or a smartphone, some device, you'll be looking at the Scripture with us this morning. We will be in the end of Acts chapter 15 and the beginning of Acts chapter 16. If you haven't uh, been with us before, we, we tend to preach through books of the Bible, just kind of chapter by chapter, week after week, month after month, however long it takes um, to work our way through. Um, last week, we were looking at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, where the church was making decision, right? Do non-Jews, do Gentiles, have to become Jews in order to become saved? Do they have to go through the rites of circumcision and, 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 man, and that sort of thing? And the council comes back and says, no, like Jesus' grace is sufficient for us. It is sufficient for Jews and it is sufficient for non-Jews. That it is enough. And so Paul and Barnabas right, are sent back with a letter right, that they can take to the churches as they've been ministering in non-Jewish areas to encourage them that, yes, Jesus is sufficient, that faith in Him is enough. And so the, that, that came on the heels of the first missionary journey. Um, and so now Paul and Barnabas have returned to Antioch, which was the church that originally um, sent them out. It was kind of the first church planning church, and they're back and they're ministering there. And so we're going to pick up this morning in verse 36 of, of Acts 15. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there rose a sharp disagreement. So they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. And Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered them, delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. He's referring to the council there. And so the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, that they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the, the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So this morning, in just those 15, 16 verses, we have kind of three kind of distinct segments um, of Scripture. And we're going to see them tied together here in a moment. But right, we have Paul and Barnabas in Antioch, 
right in the church that they've ministered to for years that has sent them out on the first missionary journey. And they decide, hey, we should go back and visit the churches that we have planted, that we minister to, and go back and care for them. They need to hear what the council has said. And you see just pastoral care for them, wanting to minister. And if you remember, this was almost an aside. But in Acts 13, right, verse 13, Luke makes just this one statement on the first missionary journey. He says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Right? And then he just moves on. Right? Just this one line that John Mark had left during the first missionary journey, where he left and that he returned, and then he just moves on. We are now probably a couple years removed from that incident, and here they are deciding they want to go back out and minister, and Barnabas goes, hey, I want John Mark to go with us, just like he did on the first one. And Paul's like, no. No. Right? Like, there's, there's this disagreement over whether or not he should go, and it becomes a sharp disagreement. Like, that it's distressing to them. They're exasperated with one another. Right? That Paul is saying, why would we take someone who has, like, abandoned us? Like, why would we do this? And so, in Luke chapter 9, right, we hear Jesus say this. This is Luke 9.62. He says, Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You have to wonder if this passage is rolling around in Paul's brain, right? Like, hey, Jesus said, listen, if you start off and then you're like, ah, it's not for me, and you leave, like, you're not, you're not fit for this work. And then in Proverbs, right, in verse 19 of chapter 25, we see this. Trusting in a treacherous man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot that slips. Right? Like, that it just it's aggravating. It's bothersome. And so you can imagine the wisdom of what Paul is saying of like, I don't I don't trust John Mark. I'm not sure that he should go. Now listen, Scripture doesn't tell us why did John Mark leave in the first place. It uses the word desert, but we don't know, right, was it fear? Was there some other reason? And so we want to keep in mind another proverb. This is Proverbs 18, verse 17, that says this. Because Scripture doesn't tell us why John Mark left, Proverbs 18.17 says, The one who states his case first seems right, until the other comes and examines him. Right? That we don't get both sides of the story. And we know that Barnabas is known as the encourager. Right? Like, this is a man of second chances. One of, whom, one of the second chances he offered was actually to Paul. Right? That, that Paul was known right, as being one who wanted to destroy the church. People feared him. And so when he shows up in Jerusalem in, in Acts chapter 9, no one wants anything to do with him. It's Barnabas in, in verse 27 who goes and gets him, and he takes him to the apostles. He takes him to the elders and says, like he affirms him and says, you need to hear what the Lord is doing in this man. Like Barnabas is the one who has done that for Paul. In Colossians chapter 4 verse 10, we find that John Mark is actually Barnabas' cousin. So there's some family connection here but that we see a, a consistency in Barnabas' 
character and his temperament that he wants to give second chances. And now Barnabas and Paul have been serving together for some 15 years. I mean, think about the things they've been through. They've sat through the Jerusalem Council together. Barnabas has helped Paul walk out of a city after he was stoned nearly to death, being left for dead. Right? They have been on the first missionary journey. They have served the brothers in Antioch. Barnabas was a mentor to Paul. Right? It started off, it was Barnabas and Paul. We've now kind of moved to it's Paul and Barnabas. But they have had this deep and rich and like faithful friendship and partnership that has led to much ministry and much kingdom growth. And yet, here in this moment, John Mark, you can imagine, right, like how he's feeling as he's seeing Barnabas go to bat for him and Paul just saying, I don't want him. I don't want him to go. I don't trust him. So this would be incredibly painful and difficult that you can imagine that both Barnabas and Paul are making scriptural arguments, right? Barnabas is saying, Paul, what about grace? What about second chances, right? What about what I've done for you? And Paul's saying, he's not fit for the work. And they both could look to Scripture. And so this sharp, distressing, exasperating disagreement comes, and they cannot come to a solution. And so the question we want to ask, though, is first is right. Like, who's right? And yet, Scripture doesn't end up vindicating Barnabas or Paul. It kind of lets us see that there was a disagreement amongst godly men and friends who had been successful in ministry and that they decide to go their separate ways. Barnabas saying, I'm going to take him with me. And he goes to Cyprus, which was Barnabas' homeland. And that Paul grabs Silas and he moves on as well. So what do we, what do we take from this story? One, that right, Scripture doesn't vindicate either one. We need to note that. But that God is using both of them. And instead of one missionary journey taking place here, now there's two. Then in two different areas, in two different places, with two different teams, forget the rest of the apostles who are doing this as well. Like the ministry is doubled here and it's going out that God is using both of them. And so as we think through our own disagreements that can arise at work, that can arise in marriage, that can arise with extended family or with children, right? that can arise in church, what do we do when you feel like you have a biblical argument and they also have a biblical argument? How do we begin to navigate some of these things? Seeing that Scripture doesn't vindicate either one of them, God uses both of them. Listen, what is the biggest temptation when two people you respect disagree? To pick a side. Right? Like that's what they want. They want you to pick a side. Right? We want, if we are in conflict with someone, pick my side or you're now opposed to me as well. Right? Like we do not do well with ambiguity. We don't do well with someone saying, well, I see their point. Those are like fighting words, right? You're like, no, you agree with me. Right? Like, look at my argument. It is rock solid, locked down, tight. And like, yeah, but they made it. Right? You want some too? Right? Like, that's kind of the attitude. Like, we want you affirm me and you disagree with them. That is the, the enemy at work to drive division, to remove unity, that we 
want validation, we want vindication, and we want you to pick a side. And yet, if this is not an issue of sin, where Scripture clearly states, don't do this. Listen, in that case, right, we can say, hey, you're, you're wrong. But if it's, if it's an issue of wisdom, an issue of personality or of temperament, right, of, of, of conviction, like we know that believers can separate themselves over all sorts of disagreements, over personalities, over preferences, over minor theological differences that are not primary or salvific, over tactics or priorities, that we can begin to, to make those primary and then separate ourselves from one another. And so, in this, we want to not pick sides. That Romans twelve eighteen tells us, as much as it is possible with you, stay at peace. Now, you're not solely responsible for that. You can only do a portion, but stay at peace with others. Then Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. He says this, verse 1, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with humility, with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Why? Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Like he's saying, this is the temperament of a believer, that we fight for humility and to stay bound together in unity. Like we put our effort not into dividing, but into keeping the peace. That this is the scriptural heart, and this is the heart of Jesus here. And so what we will see is that Paul will continue to treat Barnabas with respect. Listen, Barnabas kind of leaves the scene at this point. Luke is going to follow Paul's missionary journey, not Barnabas's. That's not vindication of Paul over Barnabas, because Paul will write about Barnabas in 1 Corinthians 9 and in other places, and he refers to him as a brother, as an apostle, as a fellow worker. As a, like he is not taking his authority and his renown and his letters and going, chipping away at Barnabas' character and his reputation. He continues to build up a brother, right? That he can say, we disagreed and we parted ways. That is a godly man who the Lord is using. And he affirms him. Right? So what we see here is that they part ways because they can't agree, but they still regard one another with respect and with peace. Right? Can we do that Right? in a marriage relationship, in a friendship, with kids, with coworkers, of going, man, we disagree, we've got to figure this out, but we, in the meantime, we can treat each other with respect. Right? We, can, we can hold each other up. We can continue to maintain unity and seek peace. The other aspect of this is that we're going to find that Scripture tells us that Paul stays open to reconciliation and restoration happening. Because again, if you have divided from someone, you have disagreed to the point that you have gone your separate ways, the other temptation, other than wanting people to pick sides, is that you cut them off. And you're done. Like, you're dead to me, right? Like, this is, this is the temptation to us because it hurts. And yet what we're going to see in Scripture, and we'll look at a couple here in just a moment, is that Paul maintains an openness, a like a, a desire for restoration. And so listen, this is 2 Timothy chapter 4, 
Verse 11. One of Paul's last writings, he writes this. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. That there has been restoration. That there has been peace. Not only that John Mark is now doing something and has redeemed himself, but that Paul sees it and goes, I want John Mark with me. Like, I want him on my team. He is useful and beneficial to me. That they have moved through and there's been redemption here. We see it in Philip, uh, sorry, in Philemon 24 as well. That he was willing for there to be redemption, reconciliation, and restoration. It's beautiful and it's good. And so are we, when we are divided or disagreeing with someone, are we willing to continue to maintain unity and peace even if we go our separate ways? Are we willing to continue to affirm and hold them up as someone worth respect? And are we willing to keep the door open for reconciliation and restoration, asking that the Lord would do what He so clearly wants to do, bringing us together? That we see here a troublesome break that actually is restored eventually. Right? That, that, that good is brought out of this. The Gospel of Mark was written by John Mark. This is the John Mark who wrote the Gospel. Right? That he went and ministered alongside Peter. And so church, as we look at this, and I love that, listen, that Luke doesn't whitewash this. He doesn't say, ah, we don't want to talk about that. That he shows the authentic, like, listen, even godly brothers disagree with one another. And you need to see this. And you need, like, and he leaves it kind of open-ended that feels uncomfortable. Here Paul write this in 1 Corinthians now, in verse 13, chapter 13. One you've heard at marriages and wedding ceremonies. Listen to it now in light of this. This is verse 7. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. And what? It endures all things. That the love of the brothers endured this disagreement, this parting of ways until reconciliation and restoration happened. The church would we be known, right, as John 13 says, as those who are known for their love for one another. That we're not looking to pick sides and say, demonize them, right, so that you can stand with me and shut the door. There's no more conversation. There's no more forgiveness. There's no more reconciliation. Listen, we see this happening in our culture all over the place. You, you see churches and Christians dividing over like what famous Christian they happen to like or read or follow or listen to. Instead of being able to, to have some charitable disagreement and difference in priority or preference, but are open to peace and unity and reconciliation. So Barnabas has headed off now. This is kind of goodbye to Barnabas. And Paul heads now starting in chapter 16, back to the churches that he ministered to before. And if you remember last time, they went via Cyprus and water and, and kind of made a, a clockwise turn. This way they're going to go by land. And so the last places they were are going to be the first places. I actually have a map because I know it's getting confusing. We'll see if it... There we go. Now I've got to figure out how to work this. There we go. Y'all are thinking, we've never seen this at Redeemer. All right, so this is Antioch here. 
right? Modern-day Syria. On the first missionary journey, they go here, through here, fallen ma, to here, and then they work their way back through. On the, so Barnabas has just left Antioch and gone back to Cyprus. We were talking to you with my back turned. Paul and Silas now are going to leave Antioch and go the land way. Right? And they're going to work their way this way. This is Syria. This area is modern-day Turkey. Over here we have modern-day Greece. Alright? Let's, let's leave the map up for a minute as we mention some of these towns. So, Paul now is going back to, to Derby and Lystra first. Okay, through the land instead of over water. And as they get there, there's a disciple that, that Luke is going to introduce us to named Timothy. And Timothy is a man of good reputation. We find out that his father is Greek, but his mother was a Jew who had become a believer, who had raised Timothy to know the Scriptures. We see this in a couple places. Let me read to you. This is 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 5. Paul writing to Timothy, who we see here in Luke 16, or sorry, Acts 16, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. And then in 2 Timothy 3:15, Paul writes, And I know from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so we meet Timothy here, right? a man of good reputation, most likely became a believer on the first missionary journey a few years prior. He's now a man who is following Jesus of good reputation. And what do we see? That they circumcise him. And you're thinking, wait a second, last chapter, chapter 15, Paul goes to Jerusalem and says, hey, we don't need to circumcise non-Jews. Like, this is ridiculous. We're not doing it. And now, the first time we see him in op- with an opportunity, right, it says in verse 2, he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. He's going to bring him along on his team now. And he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. And so the right question for you to ask, is Paul a hypocrite and is he being inconsistent? Right, like, because you're like, you just fought for this, in, in Jerusalem, and now here you are, and Timothy's being circumcised. So why? Why is he circumcised? Listen, Paul, sorry, Timothy was raised basically as a Jew, was half Jew. This is not an argument from Christians, right, or Jewish believers saying, hey, we want all, everyone circumcised. They are going to minister to an unbelieving Jewish audience. This is an opportunity for Paul here to show that he is sensitive to cultural need, right? He doesn't believe it's salvific. He's not being forced to do it. He's not doing it to, capit- like, to capitulate, right? He is looking to avoid fights and debates unnecessarily so that Timothy right, can just go in the synagogues and that he can minister right, to Jews who don't yet know Jesus right, in a way that shows they have some respect and care for their heritage. He is being pragmatic here. Not, it's not a salvific issue. We will see in Galatians that with Titus, a Gentile, he doesn't have him circumcised. Right? He is being um, 
sensitive to the needs of those that he is ministering to. We see him write about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Listen to verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, Gentiles, I became as one outside the law, that I might win those outside to the law. To the weak I became weak. Right? He's saying, how can I minister the same message to different people? Right? I was trying to be culturally sensitive. He's not making compromises here. He is trying to minister and build bridges rather than tear down, right, blow up roads. He's free, but he's sensitive. We can be right and crush someone. Listen, one of the ways this would work for, for Carmen and I in the Middle East was women are expected to cover their head, their hair. Men are not supposed to wear shorts, and it's hot because we're in the desert. Like you're supposed to wear jeans, something long. So was I free as an American and as a Christian to wear shorts? Yes. I can do what I want, right? Now listen, they can also do what they want. But it wasn't, I wasn't saying, look at me the Muslim, look at me the Yemeni. I was saying, why would I unnecessarily offend you? I want you to know Jesus. And if you want me to put on pants when it's hot, and I get to tell you about Jesus, I will gladly do that. I will gladly do that. You view my shorts as though I'm walking around in my underwear. I don't really want that anyway, if that's the cultural perception. Right? For women, listen, to cover their face was to say, right, I'm, I'm Muslim. To cover their hair was culturally was not that. And so Carmen would wear a bandana. She would cover her hair as a means of showing respect in the culture, right, rather than creating offense. Why? Because our freedoms could be laid down so that Jesus could be shared. Right? That was the hope. Paul here is having Timothy circumcised, saying, this is not about salvation. This is so that we don't unnecessarily offend all the unbelieving Jews that we're going to come across because we want them to know Jesus. Right? That he's laying down freedoms for their sake. Right? We want to build bridges and not offend unnecessarily. And so we see right, that, that Luke is making sure that we understand what Paul is doing he brings up Timothy, who's going to play a role throughout the rest of New Testament Scripture. And now, right, they, they share the message, right, from the Jerusalem Council with them. that You're free. You don't have to become a Jew to become a believer. In verse 5, the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And now our last little vignette in verse 6. And so, Timothy and the team begin to move forward through the region, right? And so they're leaving... Um, I'm pointing like you can see my finger. They're leaving this area, and now they're headed right through these regions, and they're going to go north, right? We're going to end up here in Troas here in just a moment. So they're going to take this route, and they're going to go this way. And so in it, they went through the region, right? Epharesia and Galatia. And they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. If you don't know Turkey, that landmass is both in Europe and in Asia. We're not told why the Spirit told them no, don't go to Asia. 
And they tried um, another to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus didn't allow them to do that. And so you can imagine they're moving, going, God, what are you doing? And so they, in verse 9, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia standing, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that this was why God had said no in the other place. Now I want you to notice in verse 6 it says, And they went through the region. And now all of a sudden in verse 10 it says, And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought. Right? Luke has now joined them. And so for the first time in Luke, he is not just recounting stuff that he has heard from others. He is now an eyewitness to this, that they have come, and for whatever reason, he was in Troas, and now he is with them. He is hearing Paul's vision, and they are gonna, he's going to join the team temporarily. We'll see a handful of we passages in, in Acts. And so, they are now ministering in this area. Like how often, maybe as you think through your life, have you heard, had the Holy Spirit tell you no about something? Right? Like you've asked about a job or about a move or about a relationship or about a, an expenditure or about something, and the Spirit just says no, and you're not sure why. Right? I love that Luke shows us this that Paul, even the Apostle Paul, isn't told why he's being told no, he's just told no and continues to move forward until he gets a yes. And then the Spirit then confirms the yes right through a vision and through their agreement that we see the Spirit directing through yeses, we see the Spirit directing through noes, through spiritual means, and through corporate conversation. In verse 10, when they talked together after Paul's vision and decided this is what the Lord is doing for us, is leading us to, we don't always get a reason for our no. And if you look through the history of the church, there's so many missionaries who, have, who, who we have bio, biographies of, um, they got no's. David Livingston, a famous missionary, initially wanted to go to China. You know where he spent his career? Africa. Right? Um, William Carey, another great missionary, he was going to go to Polynesia. He ends up in India. Aniram Judson, another, starts in India. He actually gets to where he wants to go, but then spends most of his career in Burma. When Carmen and I came back from the Middle East, we believed we would pour out our lives in Yemen. That is what our expectation was. And the Lord clearly said no. And my response to that no was, but I want to go to Yemen. Like, who wants to go to Yemen? And here we are having lived there, and we want to go back. And God said no. And now we believe the no was for a Redeemer. Like that the Lord has given us clarity on why we got to know. I don't think we always get clarity. We are asked to trust the Lord's good character, right? With no's as we are guided towards yeses. Verse 7, we are reminded that Jesus is alive and at work, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. That He is guiding, that He is directing, that He is working. And so what's the good that comes out of this? That they were given clear direction and that the gospel we're going to see next week as they enter into Macedonia gets to Europe for the first time. Right? That it's moving into a new 
area of the world. And so it's setting us up for next week where we will see multiple conversions in Europe for the first time. Listen, it wasn't known as Europe at this point, but it is modern-day Europe. All right, so three separate stories. Why well, hit all three of them today? Right, Each of them could have almost been their own. Because what I want us to see is that in each of these stories, God is bringing good where it appears like there might not be good. In the first, Paul and Barnabas splitting could be seen entirely negative, and yet the, the ministry is multiplied, John Mark is ultimately restored, and Paul wasn't closed off to restoration. Right? Like what beautiful good we see the Lord bringing in the midst of... Like, can you imagine the pain as Barnabas left Antioch and Paul left Antioch and they're not together for the first time? Like the questions of, God, why am I going through this? Like why? Like, I'm, I'm, like there was a painful gospel goodbye in that moment, and yet the Lord brought good from it. In the second story, in, in, in Acts 16, 1-5, we see right a gentleman who has come to faith, who's joining Paul's team here, who is going to be a faithful disciple that is like a son to Paul, and is going to carry on his legacy and his ministry, right? Even though he was circumcised, even though there was some difficulty here, even though you might want to call Paul inconsistent, that we see that he was being intentionally sensitive to the culture around him, and the Lord used it to strengthen and encourage churches. In verse 5, they increased the numbers daily, and that he gets a disciple to follow in his footsteps. And then in the third section, 6 through 10, that even through the nose, the gospel is getting to a region that Paul apparently wasn't looking towards. It gets to Europe, and we're going to see some incredible salvation stories next week. But also, as you wonder, what about Bithynia? What about these other places that we were, they were told no to? You know who ends up in Bithynia? Peter. And so if you've read the first Peter, that is written to the churches there. Like the, the gospel does get there. They, they do become believers and they are ministered to just by someone else. In that Paul doesn't say, it's mine, it's mine. He is a useful, obedient tool in the hands of a faithful God who is moving his pieces where he wants them. And he says, Paul, that's not for you, that's for Peter. They're going to, but they're going to know Jesus too. And he directs Paul and he directs Peter. So, this morning I think the question for us is, are we able and willing to trust the Lord with our notes? Are we able and willing to trust and faithfully, joyfully walk into our yeses? Are we able to trust that He is directing and moving and bringing good from things that don't seem like there could be good? Listen, Paul in Romans doesn't say that every situation is good, but he says the Lord can bring good from them. Even in no's, even in not yet's, even in later's, can we trust that the Lord is bringing good and that we are safe and secure with Him, that He is using us and that He will do something with it? So this morning, would we trust knows that we've received because they come from a loving God who cares about us? Would we walk into our yeses? Would we pray for restoration? And would we fight to maintain unity and an opportunity for reconciliation with those where there has been separation?
Because that is where the world begins to see the church is different. Because we're not picking sides and we're not demonizing, but we are saying, no, we are unified around Jesus and He is sufficient for us. Let's pray. Father, as we respond to Your Word this morning, God, would You bring maybe even specific no's You've given us to mind? Lord, that those in the past, or that this morning, that You would give us fruit or answers or evidence as to why we had a no then. Lord, so that we would trust the next no into the good, safe, secure hands of You. Lord, when You give us a yes, would we boldly go? And Father, would our desire be to maintain peace and unity? And when that seems to have been broken, that we would remain open and prayerful, asking for reconciliation and restoration. God, give us the strength of character. Lord, help us to trust that Your desire is not for us to cut others off or to be separated from them. Lord, but that You are redeeming. So Lord, would You minister to us this morning through the hard things that this passage would have brought to our minds and our hearts, that Your name would be glorified. Lord, would we be obedient. In Jesus' name, Amen.